morning. Holidaying abroad is not quite the common experience that it was, but I'm sure many of us have been privileged to travel abroad and can remember those trips. For us, there's been trips to France, um, where there's a different language, but a growing familiarity with it from a number of visits and varying attempts to dredge up my schoolboy uh, French from the deepest recesses of my memory. Then there's holidays in the United States where the language is the same, well, almost. Uh, the people can be very welcoming, but they don't seem to quite get the English sense of humour, or maybe it's just mine. Then there's the trips to places like India or Russia, where not only is the language totally different, but you can't make head nor tail of the written language. For Caroline and I on a trip to St. Petersburg, it made navigating the metro system an adventure in itself. And I'm not sure whether we were reassured or concerned when we recognised a well-known pizza franchise, Pizza Hut, to us, which there was known in Russian as Pizza Cat. Whenever we go abroad, we feel like and are foreigners but that's unlikely to be our feeling when we're at home. However, in our reading today, Peter's saying to the readers of his letter, many of whom would have lived where they were for the whole lives and possibly not ever moved away from that, that they should consider themselves as foreigners because of their faith in Christ and because of their changed priorities. So we too should consider ourselves as foreigners even though we may have lived in Southampton for all our lives. So what does Peter mean by this? Remember, he's writing to believers, both Jews and Gentiles, who are scattered throughout modern day Turkey, who were facing increasing opposition and persecution for their faith. In the first 12 verses, Peter has sought to encourage his readers, reminding them that they are chosen people, that they have a living hope and a certain inheritance whatever troubles they face now. Also that they are privileged to be living in the times that the prophets look forward to and what the angels wondered about. But what practical advice can Peter offer as to what they're to do, how they're meant to live in an increasingly hostile world? So we have at the start of verse 13, the therefore. Here's what Peter is suggesting. There are three things that he tells them to do, two positives, and one negative. They are to think hopefully, not to conform, and to be holy. So thinking hopefully. Hope or hopelessness, hopelessness is a very real concept to many people at the moment. Hoping that we'll get past the current rise in COVID cases. Hoping that we'll be able to get together with family again, particularly at Christmas. And hoping that Sainsbury's wouldn't have sold out of toilet rolls. Peter has already pointed in verse three to a living hope and he directs us to set our hope on the certainty of God, his character and the salvation described in verses one to 12, which is to be fully and finally revealed in the return of Christ. Now, this isn't a false or uncertain hope like, I hope that Southampton will win the premiership or perhaps more appropriately, I hope Southampton will avoid relegation. No, Peter is calling on Christians to set our hope on the absolute certainty of God and his promises for us in Christ. What we hope in will determine how we live and conversely, how we live now demonstrates what we truly hope in. 
Let me say that again. What we hope in will determine how we live. And conversely, how we live now demonstrates what we truly hope in. Hope is so important that it brackets what Peter says about how we should live. He commands us to hope in verse 13 and then in verse 21 reminds us why our hope rests in God. Our hope isn't based on what we have to do to be acceptable to God. It's firmly based on what God has already done for us. Our actions, our works for God are not because we need to do them, but because we are driven to them in response to what he has done for us. In verse 14, Peter talks of Christians as children, echoing the theme of being part of a new family, first as new birth in verse 3, and then emphasised by the naming of God as Father in verse 17. In Romans 8 verse 15, we're also described as being adopted into God's family, with the word for adopted meaning with all the rights and privileges and responsibilities that come with it. In the culture of the times, it was expected that children would obey their parents. So as obedient children, we are told not to conform and to be holy. Peter tells his readers they're not to conform to the ways in which they thought and behaved in the past, because now they know better. Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, Do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. And this is one of those verses where it's actually helpful to look at different translations or versions to gain a richer understanding. J.B. Phillips writes in his translation, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mould, but let God remould your minds from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good, meets all his demands and moves towards the goal of true maturity. And the message version, which says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognise what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. A story I heard which may be familiar to you tells of a question in a police officer's exam which runs like this. You come across three crashed cars in the middle of the road. One has a drunk driver, Another is full of explosives. The third contains your chief constable with another man's wife. Also coming down the road in one direction is a mob of hooligans. And in the other, just coming around the corner, is <clears throat> a gang of armed masked terrorists. What do you do? Apparently one enterprising young officer wrote, take off uniform and mingle with the crowd. And that sadly is so often what we do. But here Peter is commanding us to be holy and he refers to the Old Testament command from God to his people to be holy, pure and sinless like God. Some commentators say that to be holy is to be morally perfect and that if God commanded something it's possible for us to reach it. 
Others say holiness is an ideal we aim for, but will not reach until we get to heaven. Still others say to be holy means to be distinctive or set apart. God chose the Jewish people to be set apart from other peoples, to serve him alone and follow his laws. Laws about food, clothing, how they behaved and how they worshipped. That was the old covenant. And we now live under the new covenant established by Jesus. Our model is his life, the things he said and the things he did. We're not required to wear particular clothes, eat specific foods or worship in certain ways. For us, it's living in the spirit and by the scriptures that distinguishes us from non-believers. For us, holiness involves resisting evil and developing Christ-likeness through the power of the spirit at work in us. This call to holiness means that Christians will set themselves apart from the customs and values of their unbelieving society to live by the character and teachings of Jesus, no longer allowing their previous unbelief to define them. So how are we to do all of this? Well, we need to look back to the start of verse 13 and we see that it starts by engaging with our minds. We're told that our minds should be alert or literally that we should gird up the loins of your mind. We're presented with a picture of a man preparing to run or do some exercise. He would have to gather up his robe between his legs and tuck it into his belt. So to think hopefully, to not conform and to be holy requires mental and spiritual preparation and readiness for action. Peter goes on to say that our minds must not only be alert, but also fully sober. And the imagery here related to drink is helpful. If we have too much to drink, our judgment is clouded our reflexes are slower and we're more inclined to behaviour that we would not normally do. In the same way, it is possible that we slowly drink in the promises and practices of our world. We are to be self-controlled and realistic. Peter goes on to mention for us and to offer two motivations. If we need them to think hopefully, to not conform and to be holy. Firstly, he talks of future judgment in verse 17, that God our Father is also a God who judges to whom we'll have to account for our lives. And he reminds us that God needs to be thought of with honour, with awe, with reverence, and yes, sometimes with fear. He also reminds us of our redemption through Jesus' death on the cross, how his blood was shed as the perfect sacrifice so that we might be part of God's family. So what challenges does this prevent, present for us? Well, is your mind alert? Are you giving it regular exercise? Are there areas of life, of faith, that you could be engaging with at a deeper level? Recent world events have made me realise how poor my knowledge is of some issues. Are there other areas where God wants me to find out more, to dig deeper? Most importantly, how are we using our minds to engage with God's word and to understand it? Are there areas of life where we've conformed to the world? where we've taken the easy path and gone with the flow instead of trying to be different? Are we willing to allow God to challenge attitudes and behaviours that may have become the norm for us? So what does be holy mean for you? That's for you and not those around you to decide. That's one of the tricks of the devil is that we're sometimes better at deciding what being holy should mean for others and expecting them to conform to our ideas than we truly are for ourselves. We need to use our mind to engage with scripture, to listen to God in prayer. We need to ask for the prompting of the Spirit 
and discover if he has some areas of our lives that he wants us to bring more in line with his will. Amen.